this morning we're going to um, continue to worship, continue to pray, uh, continue to be together with him and one another. We're actually joined uh, to one another. It's not just a feeling. Um, it's something we know by faith. So it's true even when the feeling's absent. And uh, the series for us this month is uh, His Image. It's about starting with Him, starting with God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is essential that we start with Him. When we're speaking of our image, we start with Him. To start with anyone else or any other place is to miss who we are. Because we were made from Him. So we can never understand Him or who we are until we understand how vitally connected we are to Him. Now we know that sin has caused a separation between God and us. Um, that sin, that separation has resulted in estrangement. We actually feel estranged from God and estranged from one another. It's why when you walk and pass someone and your eyes may or may not meet, but there's a sense of a lack of connection, uh, that, that is not just two strangers. It's the estrangement that is in uh, the fall and in our fallen nature. And so when Jesus died, he died to deliver us from sin and to deliver us from separation from him and one another and from that sense of estrangement. You can be married and still feel estranged from your spouse. You can feel estranged from your children, even though you have blood ties. So God did something spiritually to so join us with him. He is the reconciler. My wife, Marianne, spoke about this last Sunday that Jesus, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes a letter to the church there, and he speaks about Jesus as the one who has reconciled us to God. It is not achieved by human effort. Yeah. It's received by faith in him. And he went so far as to reconcile us to God and then to reconcile us to one another. And so there's nothing that can separate us from God or one another. Your ethnicity cannot separate you from anyone. Being male or female, your height, um, when you were born, that sense of separation that we feel from time to time is not from God. And so he's the one who reconciles us to himself and then reconciles us to one another. And then guess what? He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. When we ourselves are reconciled to him, we now have the capacity to see others reconciled to him. So you are all, if you're sons and daughters, you are all ministers of reconciliation. Let me, let me demonstrate this. How many of you here have been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ? All right, all the hands here. Because you have been reconciled, you've been given the message of reconciliation and also the ministry of reconciliation, so you are the ministers. I'm a minister like you. Um, I also function as a pastor, but the role of a pastor, the role of an evangelist, the role of a teacher in Ephesians, it says, is to equip God's people. That's who you are. You're God's people. You are his people. You got a people. You're God's people. And the role of the pastor, the function of the evangelist, and 
apostolic and prophetic is to equip God's people for the work of ministry, which makes you the ministers. So listen as ministers this morning, sons and daughters who are servants, who are ministers. Uh, We've been reading a book. It's entitled Ministry in the Image of God. I encourage you to read it. It's written by a man named Stephen Siemens. He's a theologian. He is not just theological, he is theologically practical. So he looks at the truth from the scriptures about uh, the Trinitarian shape of ministry, but then makes practical application to us who are made in his image. If you only um, know of God theologically but not practically, it can be wonderful, uh, just the understanding and the truth, but it becomes active when you are practically applying it here in this community of faith and in the world in which we live. So I want to begin with uh, reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Um, you'll need to open up your phone or your, your book because we're in Monticello today, which means we don't have the screens as we do. We're in the ballroom and the scriptures will appear before you. So you'll, you'll get to see them on the screen next week. But I hope you bring your Bible every week. And uh, I want to encourage you to spend time with God reading the word, listening to him. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read part of 26 and part of 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In verse 26, it says, let us. Us. Who's us? Us is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. An eternal relationship, timeless. Uh, And in this moment, God said, let us, this is dialogue, communion, uh, connection between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, seemed good to them. They said, let us make man, male and female, in our image, in our likeness. So we were made in the image and likeness of God. Distorted by sin, but still created in his image and likeness. So to know who we are, to know your own identity, for us to know our true identity, we have to start with him because we were made in his image. To start with anyone else or start any other place is to miss our identity and live a life of deception or best insecurity. But when you start with him and know that we were made in his image and likeness, to the degree that we have fellowship with him, we are filled with a sense of who we are, who we're to be, what we're to do, and the security we experience is massive. And it's the air we breathe in a fallen, corrupt world that we're called to serve and love, not hate. But that's got to be the oxygen we breathe to live in this world. Otherwise, you'll live in the world and of it. But to live in the world, but from his presence, that's dynamic. And it requires faith because faith is the operating uh, thing that he's given us to access him. To believe. To believe him and not believe the lie. The lie that we're separated. The lie that we are on our own. The lie that I'm just an individual 
and I'm disconnected from others. That's not true. That's not who we are. And so this book makes that point. And I'll read from some of it in a moment. But I want you to see in Genesis 1, and 27, it says, Let us, so God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are creating mankind. And then in verse 27, it says, So God created man, male and female, in his own image. So verse 26, let us, three. And then verse 27 says, in his own, one. It is a theological brain buster that God is three persons and at the same time one God. Inseparable. Each member of the Godhead having their unique personhood never separated and never subsumed in the other. Many have undertaken to write about the Trinity. Um... Augustine was one. He, he wrote this voluminous work about the Trinity. Volume and volume and volume. Smart brain. Heart for God. After writing it, he's walking along the beach and he sees a, a kid, a little boy. And uh, he has a shovel. How many love being on the beach? Sand. He's got a shovel and he is got a little hole. And he's going from the water, the ocean, and he's scooping using his, his shovel or bucket and pouring it into the hole. And shortly after uh, this voluminous work had been created, he, uh, Augustine is walking by and, and uh, he sees the boy and he begins to go, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm emptying the ocean into my hole. And he looked at the boy and said... <laughs> not going to happen, my word. And he said, the reason why is because the ocean is too vast and your hole is too small. And then he kept walking and then there was a God wink like, yeah. <laughs> the volume you wrote, who I am in my Trinity is too vast and your mind too finite to contain me. So anytime we venture into conversation about the Trinity, you can get lost at sea. It's a mystery. Mystery not in the sense of it cannot be known. Mystery in the sense that is, there's too much to know. There's, so anything we say, there's still too much. It's just a, it's a scratch. But, but I love part of what comes out in the book is that there's this relationship, eternal relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where God the Father loves and cherishes the Son and the Spirit. And God the Son cherishes, loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves and cherishes. It's this dynamic that's unending. And so when God creates us in his own image, it's to invite us, if you will, to the dance. And to never ever be alone because you have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Sin separated us, but Jesus came to purchase us back so that we could be restored to the Father. And so to the degree we understand that we are not only made in the image of God, but we understand that image in which we were made, we get to fellowship. And there are all kinds of scriptures we can, we can read, and I'll read a couple, but there's never a moment where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inseparable. So when you read the Bible and you see creation, God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit are both there superintending over the creation. 
talks about the Word, God said. It talks about the Spirit brooding over the waters. Do you know that when Jesus was conceived, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Son were all involved in that moment? When Jesus was on the cross, God the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, always there. So when we think about Christ and what He's done for us on the cross, understand that there's never a moment in eternity, therefore never a moment in time, where God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not one. So you get to fellowship with all. And they're never separated, so that means God never intended us to be separated. Which is important for us who've grown up in a culture that thrives on individualism. Who worship a God who does not. So if we start with individualism, we have missed our true identity. And therefore subject to anxiety and everything else because we are we're more than half a bubble off, as the carpenter would say, from our true identity. Um, I'm going to just give a couple of scriptures um, and encourage you to go read them. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Luke 3, 22. John 14, 26. John 15, 26. Acts 2, 33. It'll be on the podcast. It'll be on the podcast. AJ's back there recording. He's high-fiving me. Say it again. Just click it. It'll be up there at 5 o'clock today. I'm not even going to read them all, but everyone I cite it mentions the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are just a few scriptures that show they're always together. When Jesus was baptized, heaven open, Father speaking, Spirit descending, coming on them. They're, they're, they're one, inseparable. So God created us to be inseparable from one another. Hmm. Here's what Jesus said, and this is why I say it's for us, not just something that is part of the Godhead. And obviously when the human element comes in, we'll never achieve in our lives the unity that is there. But he is calling us to it and praying for us to have it. And we will know it in its fullness in some measure at some point. But in John 17, verses 21 through 23, this is Jesus praying. This is his prayer for the disciples. This is his prayer for us. That all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Not that all of them would be individuals, but all of them would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. You see the invitation, the calling of us to be in him? In the same way that the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, he's saying, I want them to be in us and be one with us the way we're one with one another. We've been invited to the dance. When you live life from oneness with God and one another, it, the landscape changes. All your problems come into another perspective and view. They don't, they don't necessarily go away, but the way you view them and how you move through them changes because it's in the light of this relationship. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Isn't that encouraging? All right. Juxtapose that with this idea. Um, ever since Augustine's confessions, with its introspective approach of searching for God within the human soul, we in the West, that's us, generally, uh, have generally conceived the persons as separate cells with individual centers of consciousness. That's how we think of persons. Um, 
He goes on to say, relationships, however, are not considered essential to personhood. That This is the belief that's come out of that. They may be necessary for growth and maturity. Most of us would agree to that. But persons, as typically conceived, can exist apart from relationships. That's how we think of ourselves. I'm a person who can exist apart from relationship. Now, um, such an understanding has led to the individualism and hyper-individualism that pervade American culture. As Robert Bela observes, quote, individualism lies at the very core of American culture. American individualism, with its primary emphasis on self-reliance, has led to the notion of pure, undetermined choice, free of tradition, obligation, or commitment as the essence of the self. Now, if that's true, um, it certainly is not the kingdom that we're called to live from. If, however, we begin with the triune God, start with me, existing as one in the communion of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we arrive at a distinctively different understanding of personhood. The very names of the three persons imply existence in relationship. This is amazing. God the Father is Father by virtue of Jesus being the Son. If Jesus is not the Son, then God cannot be the Father. He goes on and expounds with this about the Holy Spirit. And so the, the idea of persons being those who are living in relationship with one another as opposed to separated from one another is the starting point for us in all our relationships. Um, he has a quote in here. Someone by the name of Gunton goes on to distinguish a person, hear the difference, who is defined in terms of relations with other persons from an individual who is defined in terms of separation from other individuals. Our culture is one that lives as individuals who live in separation from others. But the Godhead exists as persons who exist in relationship with others. Let me explain. Well, actually, it's written right here, so I'll just read it. (laughs) The being of a person is therefore being in relationship. You can't just be a person without being in relationship, even if you try. I'm not talking to them no more. Your personhood doesn't change. You're still connected to them. The state of that connection may not be pleasant, but you're still connected. They're in your thoughts, they're in your soul, they're in your life. Even if you stop texting. We are, we are tied to one another. And it's a good thing. Michael Downey summarizes what Trinitarian theologians today are saying about human personhood. Listen to this. The human person is not an individual, not a self-contained being who at some stage in life chooses or elects to be in relationship with another and others. From the very first moment of existence, the infant is toward the other, ordinarily the mother or father, who is in turn toward and for the infant. From our origin, we are related to others. We are from others, by others, toward others, for others, just as it is in God to exist in the relations of interpersonal love. So God exists in relationship with himself Three persons in one, never separated. So the day you were born, the person you are defined your parent as a mother or father, no matter the state of your relationship. By definition, this is really powerful. Because the estrangement in society because of the sin fights against that 
persons being connected. But in Christ, redemption happens. Isn't that good? In the, in the Godhead, there are four things he mentions that they experience. Full equality, glad submission, joyful intimacy, and mutual deference. Which since we're made in God's image, we should experience that with one another. Glad submission. You need a context? In marriage, glad submission. See the reality of that? The father practiced glad submission to the son. The son practices glad submission to the father. And since we're made in his image and likeness in marriage or in other relationships, we get to practice what? Not sad submission, not mad submission. Say it. See, you have to say it to yourself because like me, you tell yourself things that God has not said. And it leads to things that God never intended. You ever said to yourself, I'm alone. You're not. Jesus even said this, even if everyone else leaves me, I'm not alone. My father's with me. So at the end of the day, you're never alone. It is impossible for you to be alone. Not impossible for you to feel lonely, but the reality of you being alone never exists. Not for the one who belongs to God. So you have to now choose to believe the truth over the lie. I'm not alone. I'm part of a leadership team in it's a different one than I used to be a part of, but I used to be the youngest guy in the room, and I remember thinking, I'm too young to be in the room. That's what I would tell myself. Now I'm part of another leadership team, and I'm one of the older guys in the room, so I told myself, I'm too old to be here. <laughs> God never said I was too young. He never said I was too old. I told myself that. It's interesting, there was never a moment I thought, this is the moment. I was either too young or too old. When was the moment? Like, the devil's never going to tell you, this is your moment. <laughs> Now, he's going to say, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young, you're too this, you're too that, you're too ethnic this, you're too this, you're gender, this. and then when you get on, now you're too this, he never wants you to minister. So he, in basketball growing up, we used to play street ball, it's unorganized, it's just, it's pick up, two in the morning, right? And, and there was a guy who, on the opposing team, if he couldn't make a shot, couldn't block a shot, you called him self-check. And, and, and other things, you would just like talk people out of their game. The devil's best skill set is talking you out of who you are. So who are you going to listen to? The whole game is, will you believe the truth or believe the lie? And truth is a person. So you got to hang out with him. Because everything in the culture is secondhand smoke. It'll kill you. And every day you got to hear the truth. Because every day you're going to hear lies. And you have to have something to counteract the lie. And moreover, you got to have something that lets you walk through truth into lies in the culture and bring truth in the culture where it isn't. In places where you work, in government, on the campus, in your neighborhood, bring the truth. Be so filled with it that it flows out of you. And then come back to family like, I need to be recharged. It's rough out there. It's rough out there. (laughs) Rough out there. People on the job who God loves, but I don't yet. So it's rough out there. I need help. (laughs) Right? Okay, I have a question for you. And then a story which he tells. And that's it for the day. We'll pick up next week. Um, it's, It's a significant question he asks. He talks about small groups and how vital small groups are. 
So I will say this before I, I read and then uh, tell a story. Um, one of the questions he asks is, what's your inclination? Are you inclined to exclusion when it comes to relationships or over-embrace and meshed in relationships? You can be at either extreme. Relationally, like you're just extra. You're too much. Um, and it's, it's driven by insecurity. It's, it's, we do relationship. We're, we were designed to do relationship out of love. But because of the fallen nature, we often do relationships out of fear. So when someone approaches you, instead of love being the active flow, it's like, what, is it, what do you want? What do you, we, we go into self-protective mode, right? And, and God built us to love. That's why when you're loving and giving, people enjoy being around you. They don't feel threatened. <clears throat> so um, what's your inclination? Do you, do you incline to exclusion of relationships or do you incline to uh, over-enmeshed embracing relationships, right? So even those who are like relational, you, you, can, you can go so far where you're substituting something that really you need in God with people. Um, and there are all kinds of words that could explain that. Um, but he talks about small group involvement. So that's one of the ways that unity, that communion happens. Um, I'm in a small group uh, with a group of guys. And I can't remember not being in a group for the last 20 years. It's amazing. I could tell lots of stories. But just to give a sense of the community we have because we're one with God, when you pull up to the table at the coffee shop or in the home or wherever you meet, and there's this communion where it's not just the three to five people at the table, but it's God himself present that there's a unity you begin to experience and people begin to open up and share their lives. Like if you're the new guy, you kind of fold your arms, you're a little uncomfortable about the transparency and the vulnerability, the security and safety that's in Christ, right? As you see guys, I'm like, here's where I'm struggling. I'm struggling with purity. Like we, we talk about those things in our small groups called life changers. Or I'm struggling in my marriage. or I'm struggling with this in my parenting. or I'm struggling with this on the job. And I love when the new person comes. They're like, oh my goodness, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keeping it real here, huh? It's just, <laughs> and y'all are Christians? Yeah. So you don't think you're perfect? No, that's why we're Christians. <laughs> we're, we are so far from perfection, but so close to the perfect one. That's where we live. We live in our imperfection with the one who is perfect. And he forgives us, and we learn to forgive ourselves and forgive one another. And we get back up when we fall down. And so you have this moment where you see a guy folds his arms because he's like uncomfortable with the transparency. But then, and he doesn't have to say anything, but then there's a moment where we pray for one another. And you pray for a guy, and your prayer isn't just words coming off your lips, but it was something prompted by God that touches their life. And they look at you and they realize what you were praying couldn't have come from you. It had to come from beyond you because you don't know me like that. And I experienced something as you were praying for me. Even if I told you how I needed prayer still, I wouldn't have known that it was going to come like that. So you say, I might come back next week. And you do. And then you open up your life and you realize this is the communion that we're invited into because this is how God fellowships. So if you're not in a small group called Life Changers, go find one. Help start one. But don't live alone because you're not alone. Yeah, but you have to trust. Ah, yes, you have to trust. What if it's hard to trust? 
You can keep living like you are. Separated, although you're not. It's not easy, but it's wonderful. Um, story and then done. Um, Stephen Siemens talks about his inclination is toward exclusion, or at least it was. And I appreciate that the theologian is being vulnerable in his book. He talks about his childhood. And the reason why he makes reference to his childhood is because when he was 40 years of age, he had a, there was a turbulent moment in his life with one of his daughters. And um, it took him back to a moment in his childhood. He was the son, or is the son of missionaries who were serving in India. And he was in a boarding school, which he said he loved, great friends, uh, people who were committed to his education and growth and development. He learned so much. He speaks about a particular sea or river he loved. Um, and he keeps the picture of it in his office wall, I think. And, um, but there would be stretches of time, eight, maybe nine months, where he was separated from his parents. And there's no FaceTime in these days. It's just writing letters. So he experienced um, deep loneliness. And so consciously or otherwise, he made a vow. I think it was conscious. His conscious vow was, when I grow up, I'm never going to need people. That vow came out of the hurt he experienced out of his loneliness. And to minimize his pain, to cope with it, he said, I'm never going to need people. And so he grew up that way. And so he became someone who worked so hard to the exclusion of relationships. In fact, his work, diligent, hardworking, was because he was so not good at doing relationships deeply. I don't know if there's anybody in this room who, maybe you're a workaholic, but the truth is it's just like because the relational side of this thing is overwhelming to you to think about. And so he said he got in a small group. He opened up. They prayed for him. He experienced more freedom than he had in his entire life, in that area of his life. And he says he's still part of that small group, and he's still growing. And there's still more measure of freedom. You know, sometimes when you experience freedom, it could be like one thing has gone all in a moment. Other things are more progressive, right? It's like a journey. Uh, but it was a beautiful thing to hear him share that because I realized, wow, in life, sometimes we can move to one extreme or the other. And there's something in Christ in being one with him and one with each other that we can be healed and experience freedom from some of the hurts that we've sustained and not be rendered um, somehow unable to be used by God to minister to others. So I close with this. I don't know what things you say to yourself that God has never said to you, but I imagine you have a few. Anybody say, yeah, there's something I say to myself that God doesn't say to me? Too young, too old, to this, to that. I don't belong. That's not our Father's voice. His love for you is infinite. It's massive. And when you start with him, he doesn't flood you. He fills you to the point of overflow. I can't even visibly describe it because I know there's a measure of fullness that there's still yet for me to come into, but I want to so experience and inherit the Father's love. You ever seen a child who's loved? Watch out, watch out. They, they'll walk out in the street. They just, they have no care. They just... <laughs> They're not cautious. They're not scared. They're not, they're just so secure. 
We had one of our kids just jump in the deep end of the pool. Like, you can't swim. What are you doing? Just jump into 10 feet of water. My daddy's got me. It doesn't matter. It just, now, I'm not advocating foolishness. <laughs> but I'm speaking to the security that comes from God that's so liberating yeah. that you're unafraid to be you without comparison to anyone else. To know that your infinite worth and value. Don't let the numbers game minimize your value. Don't think, well, there are 7 billion people. I can't be that. No. Social media is not what makes you valuable. You are of inestimable worth. And your father is going on and on and on and on and on about you. Right now. David said it this way, how awesome are your thoughts toward me? I can't even count them. When I wake up in the morning, you're still with me. May we begin to think what he thinks about us. I think Lauren Daigle said it. You say, "Mm, yes. That's drilling on the other side of the wall, and I'm not bothered by it at all, so don't you be. I can see your eyes like, are we safe? Are we okay? You get to practice what you just heard. If, if, if the hotel came down right now, you're good if you're with God. Yeah. You're going to live for all eternity. You, he's got you. He's got you. It's not going to come down, not today, but he's got you if it did. He's got you. Good. Father, I thank you for this moment. If you would just turn the power into the keys. Holler, banging away, just looking at it. I need power. You know, that's what we look like without God, just banging keys, not producing a sound. But when power flows from the kingdom, see, you just got to roll with life. You just got to take it as a cup. You got to take it as a cup. Father, I thank you for your people. All the privilege of being God's people. Your sons, your daughters, who've been invited to the dance to be a part of you because we're made in your image, made in your very own likeness. Heal hearts this morning. Lord, would you please excavate the lies that have been entrenched in our minds. And we just wonder, I don't know, because we've thought this thing for so long that we think it's just the way it is. Not so. Not so. At any moment, we embrace the truth. Reality sets in on us and everything changes for us in us. There's some here today, and this might be your moment to begin a relationship with Jesus, to start with him. If that's you, you need to pray and surrender your life to him. Others, you've already surrendered to him, but you need to make sure you're starting with him, starting with the person of truth. Lord, I thank you that we are connected to one another, not separated. Amen.